You're listening to the Geek Watch Podcast, Episode 57, Alita Battle Angel. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 57 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me, as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrie. Hello, Brian. We've got a, a lot to talk about today. Uh, movies, uh, there's a lot of movie news, things that are leaving television, things that are coming to television. I did get a chance to see Alita Battle Angel. We can talk about Ooh. that. Mm-hmm. We can talk about uh, last week's episode of The Walking Dead, but before we get to that, since I brought it up last week, I'm going to have to bring it up again this week, The Wonder Twins. <laughs> because the Wonder Twins wound up making the news because there was a preview issue of the Wonder Twins released, and it was released to some bit of controversy. Oh, no. Well, Geek Watchers might remember from the, what we talked about last week, the Wonder Twins are on Earth. They are sort of like junior members of the Justice League, but they also go to high school because they're of that age, they need to be going to school, and since they're on Earth, they go to high school. And the moment that that brought up all the controversy was there was some panels where Zan was standing in front of the class, and the teacher had asked him to talk about life on his planet and what it was like being an Exorian. He was talking about certain things, but he decided to bring up the fact that when a thunderstorm happens, Exorians have a certain reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And something that he refers to as thunderlust. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, when Exorians hear thunder, the first thing that pops into their head is, hey, let's take our clothes off huh. and get busy. Now, Guess like very white uh, to humans? I don't know. Well, yes, but keep in mind, there's a bit of a twist to this, which is, of course, Exorians have certain powers, which is they shapeshift. They all shapeshift. And apparently, not only are Exorian males able to form into uh, liquid, they're apparently very gender-fluid as well. So they very often change sex. And the females take on animal aspects, and then it's just Mm -hmm. one big uh, orgy. (laughs) Okay. And so... So was the orgy the problem, or was the transgenderism the problem? I think that the orgy was the problem. I think that the transgenderism Hmm. thing was a problem. I think the bestiality was the problem. There was a lot Mm -hmm. of problems that people had. I saw the panels. It wasn't graphic, uh-huh. but I can understand why some people of a of a certain persuasion might not be cool with this at all, especially when they say, hey, come on, you can't be talking about sex to teenagers, and you certainly can't be talking about crazy sex to teenagers. Although, I am going to say this. I remember when I was a teenager, I wasn't ignorant about sex. No. In I... fact, I grew up in an era where there were R-rated sex comedies made for teenagers. And of course, you can't get away with that nowadays. But I grew up being able at 15, 16 to go to an R-rated movie that was basically, you know, a sex comedy that was geared to people my age. Huh. Movies like Porky's and, and other things like uh-huh. that, that, that really wasn't geared to adults. It was for younger people, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I understand parents wanting to monitor what their kids get into, but at the same time, if you think that teenagers don't know about sex, you may be a little bit naive. Well, my thoughts on it are, again, everyone's talking about their everything's changing, everything's radical. This is not new. In The Magic Land of Oz, L. Frank Baum, 100-year-old book, 
there's a character that changes genders. So that's not new. In 1992, Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> a woman having a, a love affair with an animal. Um, then in Twilight. So if you're going to be okay with your children reading Twilight and being okay with that, but then get upset because a comic book does the same thing, uh, it's kind of hypocritical. I feel. I mean, these aren't these aren't new ideas. They're just presented in a different way. So you know, don't pick and choose what you're going to be angry about. Well, that's true. I think that a lot of people get the idea, a lot of older people get the idea that the internet is basically bringing a lot of the stuff out that because of of the internet and all of this, you know, kids are more sexualized now than they ever was. And I have to say, that's, no, that's not the case. I think it shows us more of what was already there, but it didn't add to it. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, for me, one of the biggest shocks that, that came to me was when I was first starting out as a writer, and the first writing convention I ever went to was the World Horror Convention. It was back in 1995. I was in New York City. And I sat in on a panel about YA and teen writing and mm -hmm. novels and that sort of thing. And I was shocked to find out how the type of literature that is geared to young adults and because I was still of the mind, it's like, you know, if you're if it's a teenager, you have to heavily edit the type of stuff that you put out there. But I found out, no, that's not the case at all. Hmm. In books geared to young adults, and, and now they have like they call new adults. But the only real guideline to those books is the characters tend to be the same age as the people that are reading. But you can't write a teenager who's never heard of sex before because there's not a lot of them mm -hmm. around there. Unless you're writing about some sort of cloistered situation, for the most part, not only do teenagers know about sex, but they think about it a lot. Well, and teenagers were always aware of sex. I think now we are much more aware of the consequences of sex than we ever were. You know, I've heard older generations just get so upset about things like, you know, 16 and Pregnant, and they do not believe me when I tell them that those shows have led to a decrease in teen pregnancies. And they will not believe me when I tell them that there were more pregnant girls when you were in high school than there were when I was in high school, just because we talked about it when I was in high school. When you were in high school, a girl went abroad for a semester. Right. Or she went and spent the summer with her aunt, and then, you know, she came back, and there's a whole generation, and they're on, you know, social media now trying trying to find their mothers, these teen girls uh, that were not really given a choice. You know, you are a teenage girl who got pregnant. You have to give up your baby. That's what's best for the baby. And you're unwed. No, they really weren't given a choice. And so their babies were given up for adoption. And they're all over the internet now trying to find their mothers. And they all the mothers pretty much say the same thing. I wasn't given a choice. I had to give you up. Right. I think under the circumstances, maybe the internet has given younger people access to more information, but I don't think that's a bad thing because I think ultimately it makes them smarter. Absolutely. It allows them to make smarter decisions. And like I said, when I heard about the controversy, I looked at the panels. I mean, to me, if this were my kids, I don't think that it would be that big a deal to me. I can see why maybe to some parents it might be, but I think this is a tempest in a teacup. To mm -hmm. be on. But the other thing I wanted to talk about, the Wonder Twins, like I mentioned before, we had talked about it last week. And I was going over the final edit listening to this, and I got to the part where we were talking about how the Wonder Twin powers are activated. Right. And as I was listening, I said to myself, 
Did I just mansplain to Mandy <laughs> how the Wonder Twins work? <laughs> Did I do that? I'm like, and I started to question myself. I'm, you know, I jump in. It's like, no, 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 Mandy. That's not how the Wonder Twin powers work. Oh, okay. And I, I was like, did I just? I mansplained to her, didn't I? And I, I was starting to doubt whether or not I was right about the whole thing. And so I started to look it up, and I found something interesting. And this is okay. kind of why I brought it up. Number one, I'm, I have to say I am very sensitive to the whole mansplaining thing because very often what I do is when we're talking about something, I'll bring it up and talk about like explanations and explaining things mm-hmm. for the geek watchers out there that right. might not know what I'm talking about. And I'm very careful. I don't want it to make it sound like I'm telling you, Mandy, something, oh, obviously. Okay. That you sh- mm-hmm. I, I, I try to be very careful to, to indicate when I'm explaining something to the audience and, and mm-hmm. instead of turning around and trying to mansplain it to you. Oh, that's okay. not what I, but mm-hmm. I started to look things up. And yes, the Wonder Twins did use hand-to-hand contact. Although mm-hmm. later on in the series, it got really lazy and it didn't even bother to have them take their gloves off. But I noticed something else also. And this is the reason I'm bringing this up. I also noticed that when you do a Google search, you know how they do the autocomplete where they try mm-hmm. to figure out what you're searching for? The third option in that search was Wonder Twins rings. Ah. So wait a minute. Okay, well, they didn't use rings, but people looked it up. Uh-huh. And I also noticed that on Family Guy, they did a sketch that involved Peter being one of the Wonder Twins, and they used rings to change. Uh-huh. And I thought so. This is a common misconception, kind of like the Luke, man, the Mandela effect. Like I think, Luke, I am your father. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. So it looks like we've discovered another Mandela effect. Uh-huh. Some people. That's where the rings came from. Because I'm thinking in my head, and what confused me was I remember I was thinking, didn't they like maybe they did have yellow rings? I remember mm-hmm. them maybe in, on those, and it's like no. But this, I really thought there were rings. I did. And but lo- I think I'm from that other uh, universe, too, because I can remember the Sinbad Genie movie. I can remember the commercials for it on Nickelodeon because it was a made-for-Nickelodeon movie. It wasn't out in the theaters. And then the Kazam movie came out in the theaters. So I can remember that happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think this is another Mandela effect. And we just maybe we just stumbled onto that. Yeah, so. we need to go on Reddit. Is it Reddit that, that does the Mandela effect? Or I think is it Creepypasta? I think there is a subreddit. That that deals with the Mandela mm-hmm. effect. And Glitch in the Matrix. Is, Glitches in, in, I love in the Glitch Matrix. in the Matrix. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was really interesting mm-hmm. that we may have inadvertently stumbled into another Mandela effect. So maybe in another universe they yeah, do Yeah, absolutely. Effect. Listeners, you know, make some comments. Send us your stories. Uh, tell us if you think the Wonder Twins used rings. There you go. And it just, like, I can really picture it in my head. They're, you know, their rings coming together and saying Wonder Twin powers activate when, yeah. they, when they matched up. I don't know why I think that. Well, that's weird because when I was starting to think about it, I, I was like, wait a minute, I think I was wrong because I, I think I'm starting to remember rings now. So I'm kind of stuck in remembering that there were rings and then remembering that it was, you know, they took their gloves off. Just fist bump. <laughs> yeah, and, and fist bump. So yeah, there you go. Also, uh, last weekend it was uh, the New York Toy Fair. And I was looking at a bunch of stuff that was coming out. The two things that I remember mostly from the Toy Fair, first of all, was there was a toy that is a Ghostbusters Transformers crossover. It is an Ecto-1 that is a Transformer. You can turn it into a robot. So uh, this toy, of course, is made only for Kevin Polly, but sometimes you just make something for one person uh-huh. and other people like it. So that was definitely the Kevin Polly toy. Absolutely. Our, our, our friend Kevin Polly, who's 
very much into Ghostbusters mm-hmm. and the Transformers. And your, par- and your partner in... The Real Deal, The yes. Real Deal, yes, uh, yes, that reviews movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I also... The other thing that I... There was like a ton of stuff. We could, we could do an entire podcast on this. But the other thing that I remember that was kind of neat, Mattel, they were coming out with some new He-Man figures. What was really interesting about them is the He-Man characters that were in the movie. So you've got Adolf Lundgren as He-Man. You've got Franklin Jella in his full regalia. Do you have Skeletor. a Courtney Cox? I don't know if they oh did Oh my it. gosh. I remember seeing three of them. I saw, mm-hmm. I, I saw the, those two. I'm assuming Evil Lynn is going to be there. But uh, the, the guy with the mutt face and the pulled back hair and the uh-huh. hook for a hand, he was one of the figures. Are they like holding that shiny thing with the buttons that, that sings to you to oh, open up the to open I, up the magic portal? I'm sure Gweldor is yes. has got to be one of those figures. But and I, as we've talked about, Brian, in the 80s, that was how you did movies in the 80s is you had this really, you know, cool universe until the budget it ran out and then you went through a portal into modern day right <laughs> usually modern day like la or new york oh yeah absolutely <laughs> he so. man masters of the universe was not alone this is a fairly common trope in oh the yeah 80s. definitely definitely <laughs> so but i do have to say that when you looking at a lot of the stuff that was coming out of the new york toy fair one thing that really uh surprised me well i have to say that i was very struck by the fact that a lot of toys aren't really for kids nope yeah. Uh, there's a lot of uh, adult, uh, well, mm-hmm. I don't want to say adult toys, because that's a totally different thing, and yeah. we're not going to talk about that. But there's a lot of things put there. That collectibles, I, collectibles, Brian. There you go. Collectibles. collectibles. Now, which makes me, uh, in a point, at one point, I have to say, I do wonder a little bit what Bill Maher would have to say about that, of <laughs> toys, you know, made for adults. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. Nobody cares. No one cares. <laughs> Nobody really cares. Mm-hmm. Although it's multi-bazillion dollar business. Yeah. But, hey, it, you know, it's just for kids or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Toys for adulting. There you go. <laughs> I saw an article the other day. That shocked the heck out of me because this is a deep cut to my childhood. In fact, this is such a deep cut to my childhood. I'm pretty sure even you don't know about this. But there was a TV show that I watched years ago called The Banana Splits. Do you know anything about The Banana Splits? I remember Bananas in Pajamas. Oh, this is way before this. This is like, okay. it's, the show started back in 1969. I was oh. two years old Aww. at the time. I remember seeing clips of The Banana Splits. During Mr. Cartoon, when I was, I mean, single-digit age. Mm-hmm. That's how lo- how far back this goes. And they were four mascot characters, live-action mascotic characters. And they got into adventures and things was like, like that. Was it like a Sid and Marty Croft? Uh- Sid and Marty Croft actually designed the costumes for the Banana Splits before... They struck out on their own and started HR Puff and stuff and that sort okay, of Okay, because that's what I th- when I think of mascot costumes, I think of Sid and Marty Croft. And right. when I think of puppets, I think of Jim Henson. And- right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Sid and Marty Croft actually designed the mascot costume. Okay. But here's the thing. The Banana Splits are getting a new movie. Oh, wow. Okay. That's not the weird part. All right. Basically, this movie is about kid, his family, who, who go to see a taping of the Banana Splits, and terrible, horrible things start to happen, and people start to die. Oh. It is a Banana Splits horror movie. Huh. This is like the weirdest thing ever. Okay, why didn't they do that with Scooby-Doo? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it would sound like it would make... That's the thing. This is such a strange contradiction, because, of course, the Banana Splits, kids... TV show, you know, really kind of wacky. 
straightforward type of a thing and that they're going to make a horror movie out of this. This is the weirdest <laughs> contradiction of a plot that I could possibly imagine. I'm really curious about how uh-huh. this is going to turn out because this it just seems so weird. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that's going to turn into that's going to be a movie sometime and I guess we'll mm-hmm. we will definitely check that out. Speaking of movies, let's talk a little bit of movie news that's just come out. Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, in an interview, announced that Endgame's going to be her last Marvel movie, and she's going to be retiring as Pepper Potts. Oh, wow. Okay. So, Hmm. now what she said was, she figures she's getting a little old to to keep playing the role, which to me sounds ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But uh, And she did say she would be willing to come back if they need her for a cameo or whatever. So, unless she's, like, completely swerving us, which is very possible, I guess that means she's not going to die in Endgame. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of rumors saying that she's going to have a, a lot to do in Endgame. Okay. And so, they're all flashbacks from now on. Well, that, that may be true. The other thing, too, is that, and we talked about this when the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer came out, on the big check, you've got Pepper Potts' signature on it. Mm-hmm. So... Like I said, unless they're completely swerving us, she's not going to die in Endgame, but we may not be seeing her anymore. But of course, we're going to be losing a, we could be losing a lot of characters in Endgame. Mm-hmm. So we don't know for sure, but I guess we will find out. Speaking of losing characters, let's go to television for a moment. It's, it was announced this week. They have canceled Punisher and Jessica Jones. Yeah, but, you know, it really wasn't that much of a surprise. Yeah. I mean, it's a disappointment, but assault coming, so. Yeah. Jessica Jones still has a third season coming out, and I guess once it's done, that's it. Mm-hmm. Now, I know Jeff Lowe wrote a letter saying that I've not seen the last of the Defenders, so there's a possibility that maybe it'll come up on Hulu. Mm-hmm. But especially with the Netflix contracts, we may be waiting two years for contracts to expire before they would be able to do new ones. So just like you said, I mean, we all knew this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. They were They were killing off these series left and right. It was just a matter of time. I think they waited to announce Punisher and Jessica Jones because Punisher was coming out with a season Mm -hmm. and Jessica Jones was coming out with a season and they were going to wait until they were ready to release those before they announced the whole thing. So uh, that's it. We may be losing some shows, but we're gaining some. Uh, You were talking about uh, how impressed you were with the Doom Patrol uh, trailer. Yeah. Yeah. I watched that and, uh, it felt so Hellboy-like, mm-hmm. and first thing I thought, wow, Timothy Dalton, he's our new John Hurt, and, uh, you know, bringing this team together, he's like the, uh, I don't know, the, the Gandalf, the the mage character in this. Oh, yeah, the mentor mm-hmm. character, definitely. Yeah, I and today they just released a new Twilight Zone trailer. Did they? I yes. missed it. Yeah, mm. well, you'll definitely have to check it out. Mm. It's not a teaser. You get to see clips from a lot of the episodes that are be coming out. And boy, does it feel like the Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be uh, coming out April the 1st, streaming on the the CBS All Access. And I didn't think I could be more excited about it, but I certainly am now at this point. (laughs) Also coming out, they just announced this. Back in 1987, the BBC had a television show called The Storyteller. Yes. And since you mentioned John Hurt, of course, John Mm -hmm. Hurt played The Storyteller. Right. So it was a Jim Henson and they had all the puppets and right. pretty much all the fairy tales that didn't get the Disney treatment ended up on the storyteller. Oh yeah. Some really cool ones, Sap Sorrow and all kinds of fur and some great, great stories on there. 
Well, it looks like the Henson Company will be bringing back the storyteller. Oh, that is awesome! And and Neil Gaiman is going to be helping them with that. They're going to be he's going to be writing. Of course, John Hurt can't come back as the no. storyteller. But one thing they did talk about is, along with telling stories, they want to go into the storyteller's backstory. They want to they want to explore the storyteller himself, uh-huh. where he came from, why he does what he does, which I right. think is. A scold, uh, a bard, a, yeah. I don't know what else they call him. Uh, but what is it with Neil Gaiman? I mean, in the last five years, did he just get bored? Because he has exploded all over TV and movies. You know, I think the last thing I can remember was Coraline before, you know, then American Gods came out and Angels and Demons is out and yeah. Lucifer. He just exploded all over television. Oh, yeah. And, of course, in the Matt Smith era, one of the best episodes, I think, of Doctor Who mm-hmm. had to be The Doctor's Wife. One Wonderful story. I mean, he's a great writer, definitely. And yeah, he's definitely been busy in in, uh, TV and movie, and justifiably so, Mm -hmm. because he's an amazing writer and just keep bringing it. Keep bringing it. I'm definitely. Nothing wrong with it. But for like years there, he was, you know, just books after books and nothing really happening. And then all of a sudden you get Coraline, then a few years later, boom, all over TV. Right. (laughs) Now, Something else, since we're talking movies, they just lifted the embargo for early reviews for Captain Marvel. Uh, and okay. I've, been, I've been reading those, and I have to say, well, if, if the reviews are right, I can't wait for this movie. Excellent. They have been mostly positive. Even, mm-hmm. even some of the negative things that I've heard have been very minor. Like nitpicky, kind of. Nit, uh-huh. Nitpicky, but all, yeah. also ready to go back to say, but this is a great film. There was no spoilers in any of the reviews, thank goodness. Oh, good. But a lot of things that people have been saying, Goose the Cat steals a lot of scenes in this movie. Never work with children or animals. Yeah. But also that this movie does feel like a Marvel movie, but it's different as well. They're saying that the 90s nostalgia is on point. (laughs) And they said that Carol Danvers is an incredible character. All I have to say is, this is one of the few times where DC trumped Marvel because they came out with a a female superhero-led movie first. Mm -hmm. And if I can get one scene as good as the battlefield scene in Wonder Woman, I will be happy. Okay. I know that's a tall order, because, oh my goodness, that scene. Mm -hmm. That scene was incredible. But if I can walk away as happy with Captain Marvel as I, I did with Wonder Woman, believe me, I've got no complaints there, but... Yeah, the reviews so far have been really positive and really good, and it's going to be pretty soon. We'll get to see it, and of course, we'll also uh, review it here. We'll definitely talk about it (laughs) once we've seen it. Speaking of movies, I did, and I won't spend too much time on this because I want to go as spoiler-free as possible on this, but I did get a chance to see Alita Battle Angel. Mm -hmm. This was a movie that I thought had the potential of being really good, but mostly ignored. It's mm. one. I just felt mm. like this was one of these movies that it, it was an IP, but it was a an anime, and so it might not be something that was really in the consciousness of a lot of American audiences. So I thought that this could be a, a situation where you have a movie, regardless of how well done it is, it's not going to really ca- it, it, mm. it's going to kind of get overlooked. I'm very happy to find out that wasn't the case at all. Way um, to go. It became the number one movie uh, its opening weekend. And that was going opposite of the Lego movie sequel's second week. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So 
that was a shock. I thought it it would be hard going to go again because uh, the Lego Movie, of course, is a very popular yeah. IP, a very popular property that people love. And I thought that that and everyone loves the Lego Movie, not just kids. Exactly, <laughs> adults. And love so the Lego I was movie. I was really worried that the movie was going to get overshadowed by that, but it did extremely well, which it makes me really happy for Robert Rodriguez. I've I've been a fan of his work forever, and lately a lot of his stuff has flown a little more under the radar. Mm-hmm. But his direction was great. I mean, you're getting a story that James Cameron helped to write. Mm-hmm. And wow, this, I mean, it delivered on everything. It was a great movie. There's a lot of action in it. It was a lot of beautiful eye candy, definitely, action-wise. But like good science fiction, it talked a lot about what it really means to be human. And I really enjoyed the story. It was a top movie for me. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. I'm glad the movie got made. I'm glad I got a chance to see it. And I'm glad that a lot of people are getting a chance to see it. Because, like I said, my biggest concern was people are going to sleep on this. And they didn't. Mm. And that makes me happy. So, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, obviously my review on this is definitely check it out. And if you get a chance to see it in 3D, check it out in 3D. I mean, normally I'm not the biggest fan of 3D movies live action. Because of, you know, again, you know, sometimes they tend to get washed out. But it, it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous in 3D. So you don't have to see it in 3D, but don't be afraid to if you want to. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's close up today. Uh, let's talk about The Walking Dead. With What the Dead. Yay. With What the Dead. And there will be spoilers on this one. So mm-hmm. if you've not seen it yet, pause the podcast, go mm-hmm. watch it, and then come back. The episode was called Omega. Omega. And one thing I have to say about this story that really impressed me was I've never seen unreliable narrator handled so well as it was in this episode. How so? Well, because you get all of the uh, of the flashbacks with Lydia. And what's interesting is Lydia is the unreliable narrator. Now, it's, she's not deliberately lying. It's just that, that Alpha, her mom, lied to her. Mm-hmm, has and, warped her memory and brainwashed her. And, exactly. Yeah. And so there are certain things, even when she's still believe stuff, there are indications in the flashback that things aren't exactly uh, correct. Like, you get the moment where the dad, he says, you know, the world's gone to hell, I don't care anymore, and he cuts his beard, saying that I only wore this because you liked it, talking to his Mm. wife, Alpha, Mm -hmm. and said, I only had this because you liked it, and well, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And so later on in the flashback, he's still got his beard, but Alpha's got her hair cut. It's cut short. And you're like, what's going on here? And it's like, only when you think about it, it's like, no, he never cut his beard. She cut the hair. She was the one who said that. Mm-hmm. And you have the moment where she has the tattoo on her arm and uh, she's singing to Lydia, you know, Lydia, oh, Lydia, oh, have you? <laughs> and she's got the Lydia's name tattooed on her arm. And then later on, you don't even notice it, but he's got the tattoo huh. and he's singing yeah. to her. And I mean, there are, there are moments where the father, you think the father died because he got bitten but you notice that the shot of him dying, there's some marks on the wall, like arches. And then when you actually go into the scene where he gets bitten, there are no marks on the wall. And you're like, what happened? And, but there's all through this, there's little hints that that things aren't exactly the way that Lydia says that they are. And you pick up on them. And even if you don't, you kind of feel, wait a minute, something's wrong here because... Why is her hair short now? And why does he have his beard back? He couldn't have grown his beard back that fast. It was all these indications that 
Lydia is an unreliable narrator, and I've never seen it handled as depthly. I mean, it can be a really powerful mainstay in literature, and there are a lot mm-hmm. of places in literature where that's used, but I've never seen it handled as deftly and as well in television, mm-hmm. in a visual medium, as I did in The Walking Dead. I have to say to the I screenwriter... I think there's one episode of Farscape where they're all on trial, and they're all telling the story. Yes, where they're doing it all from their... Yeah, Right, and they're each one from their own memory, and each one perceives it differently. Yes. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. But there was a lot of great stuff in this episode. Mm-hmm. I mean... The things between Lydia and Daryl, because, of course, they have that same kind of a back history. You know, they both came from abusive parents. Mm-hmm. And so, which, yeah, mm-hmm. broken homes and being beaten as a child. And, and the fact that, that Daryl was able to kind of zero in on Lydia because he knew what she went through. But at the same time, she was able to zero in on him. She could... She could see it. She Mm -hmm. could see it. She knew, oh, you've had to go through this yourself. Mm -hmm. The stuff with Henry, I thought, was amazing. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, uh, a lot of this stuff from the comics was... With with, Carl. Was was with Carl. And, of course, we get to the end, and Alpha comes back. You know, Alpha shows up with a bunch of people and, you know, demanding Lydia back, demanding her daughter a couple things that really stuck but out. is this a power play, or does she really want her daughter back? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- the couple things that I noticed about uh, about that scene, of course, the first thing was she's still carrying the knife she killed her husband with. She's <laughs> like, she still has it on her belt. You know, it's like it's... Uh, that's her Lucille. That's her, <laughs> that, very much, that may be her Lucille. Now, of course, a lot of people have been comparing Alpha to Carol. And mm-hmm. I had never thought of that before, yeah. but yeah, that's a really, mm-hmm. because you know, I'm just thinking if Henry was being held captive by Hilltop and we thought they were the villains, you know, what would Carol do to them? Burn it down. <laughs> Hilltop would be in cinders. <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah. And Alpha is more than capable because, and I don't think this is much of a spoiler to say this, but although she came with force, she didn't come with all her force. She has a heck of a lot more. But that's the thing. She walked up to that front gate like she wasn't scared of nothing. Mm -hmm. And I know that in the comics, of course, the interactions for the most part at Hilltop were between Alpha and Maggie. And, of course, Maggie's not there now. And so Daryl's taking over. So now we have this situation where I guess Daryl's going to step up and, and do the negotiation. Well, I don't know how much of a negotiation there's going to be. You know, Alpha is demanding is demanding Lydia back. And, I mean, on a very strategic level, that sounds like that's a good idea, because for all we know, she's, I mean, she may still have, she may still have Enid's boyfriend and the band teacher alive, Mm -hmm. and there may be a, you know, she might be thinking of offering that as a trade-off. But the thing about it is, although it was good, I think, for Daryl and uh, Lydia to find out about each other, I think that strategically... Even though it may be a good idea to turn Lydia over and do the trade, I don't think Daryl's going to. I think Mm. that to him, it's going to be too much of a moral imperative to not do it. And I think that is going, well, it's no thinking about it. It's Mm. definitely going to cause problems. So do you feel like Henry is going to uh, release Lydia? Well, I don't know. Okay. I, I don't, I mean, the. Of course, he let her out during the episode to walk around a little bit. And of course, they shared a worm together. Oh, how romantic. But keeping her locked up might be for her safety. I, I don't know if they're going to, like I said, I don't know how the 
show next week is going to end. Mm-hmm. But certainly there's going to be tensions uh, between uh, the Whisperers and Hilltop because of this the situation with Lydia. And now whether the one thing about uh, Alpha, I mean, for all Lydia had to say about how they don't, she doesn't care. They lose somebody, they move on. She didn't do that. So for whatever reason, she wants Lydia back. She has no intention of leaving without without Lydia. So whether that's done out of uh, a love for Lydia or it's a pride thing, we don't know. But the thing about it is Alpha's going to be bumping heads with Daryl on this, and it's going to come down to some sort of violence, I think. But... You know, of course, this week we've got a new episode, and I guess we'll find out we what happens. See. So we and we'll definitely be talking about that next week. And so that with that said, we come to the end of episode fifty-seven of the Geek Watch podcast. Thank you for listening, and tune in next week for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch podcast. From Andy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher reminding all the Geek Watchers out there: we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the Geek Watch Podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The Geek Watch Podcast is a Hanging J production. <laughs>